When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I'm Kathy with a K. And I'm Kathy with a C. And this is season two of Killer Destinations. Today's destination is Moscow, Idaho. Moscow is a small city in north-central Idaho along the state border with Washington. The first permanent settlers arrived in the area in 1871. When the first U.S. post office opened a year later, the town was called Paradise Valley, but changed its name to Moscow three years later. Historians dispute the precise origin of the name. There is no conclusive proof that it is connected to the name of the Russian capital, but some accounts suggest it was named by Russian immigrants. Early settlers reported that when five local men met to choose the town's name, they could not agree. So when the new postmaster, Samuel Neff, completed the official papers, he chose Moscow. Neff was born in Moscow, Pennsylvania. The city is also home to the University of Idaho, the state's land-grant institution and primary research university. Tragically, in 2022, Moscow, Idaho was again connected to the state of Pennsylvania. This time, because a man suspected in the murders of four University of Idaho students was tracked to Pennsylvania and arrested for the brutal crime. Now that the court has unsealed certain documents, but definitely not all of the documents, we can now deliver a reliable set of facts for these horrible crimes. Our information comes from police press conferences and press releases, as well as the probable cause affidavit created by the Moscow Police Department and presented to the court in order to justify the issuance of an arrest warrant. In the early morning hours of Friday, December 30th, 2022, a Pennsylvania State Special Emergency Response Team made what they called a dynamic entry by kicking in doors and smashing windows at a home in Monroe County, Pennsylvania. The tactical and coordinated effort resulted in the arrest of 28-year-old Brian Christopher Koberger, the man the entire world now knows as the person charged with the November 13th, 2022 murders of four University of Idaho students, Zana Kernodal, Ethan Chapin, Madison Mogan, and Kaylee Gonzalez. When the new school year began at the University of Idaho in Moscow, five girlfriends moved into an off-campus house together on King Road that was within walking distance of the university. The house was three stories, with two bedrooms and one bathroom on each of the three floors. 21-year-old Madison Mogan and 21-year-old Kaylee Gonzalez had rooms on the third floor. 20-year-old Zana Kernodal and 21-year-old Dylan Mortensen had rooms on the second floor, and 21-year-old Bethany Funk had a room on the first floor. Kath, Bethany was the only tenant living on the first floor because a sixth roommate, who was actually still on the lease, moved out prior to the start of the school year, and that room stayed empty. 
On Saturday night, November 12th, 2022, Zana and her boyfriend, 20-year-old Ethan Chapin, went to a party at his fraternity house, Sigma Chi. Zana's housemate Bethany was also at the party and saw them there from about 9 p.m. to 1.45 a.m. Kaylee and Maddie went to a local bar called The Corner Club about five minutes away. They were seen on camera arriving at 10 p.m. and leaving the bar at 1.45 a.m. After they left the bar, they were seen a few minutes later at a local food vendor called The Grub Truck. The Grub Truck live streams video from the truck and you can watch the video on their website. They were driven home and arrived about 10 minutes later. By the way, Kath, on that website, it looks like they keep the video for maybe five days or so. The five roommates, plus Santa's boyfriend, Ethan Chapin, were home by 2 a.m. and in their rooms by 4 a.m. We know Zana was awake at 4 a.m. because she received a DoorDash order. According to a Moscow PD press release, at 11.58 a.m. the next day, Sunday, November 13th, one of the roommates, and by the way, the police did not say which one, called 911 to report an unconscious person. The caller told police they were afraid one of their roommates was unconscious because she did not respond when they knocked on her door. The caller had already reached out to friends to come over because she was worried something was wrong. Multiple people at the King Road house spoke to the 911 dispatcher as they waited for police to arrive. Responding officers entered through a door on the first floor of the house and walked upstairs to the second floor. We all know now what they found. Zana and her boyfriend Ethan had been brutally stabbed to death in her second floor bedroom. Madison and Kaylee were found in Madison's room on the third floor, having suffered the same fate. According to a press conference by Moscow Police Chief James Fry, responding officers locked down the scene. Chief Fry immediately reached out to the Idaho State Police to send a forensics team to the crime scene. He also informed the FBI and asked for their assistance. Approximately four hours after the 911 call, Moscow Police Corporal Brett Payne was walked through the scene by one of the responding officers. Now, Kath, Corporal Payne is also the officer who filed the probable cause affidavit. In Madison's room, Corporal Payne noticed what appeared to be a tan leather knife sheath, you know, a holder for the knife, right. laying on the bed next to Madison. The sheath was collected as evidence by crime scene technicians. Within the first few days of the murders, the Moscow PD had the help of 20 investigators from the Idaho State Police, 22 FBI investigators on the ground in Moscow, and 20 additional agents located in southern Idaho, Utah, and West Virginia. The FBI also provided two agents from the Behavioral Analysis Unit. As part of the investigation, over 300 interviews were conducted by Moscow police officers, Idaho State Police detectives, and FBI agents. Two of the interviews included Bethany Funk and Dylan Mortensen, the two surviving housemates. Both women were inside the King Road house at the time of the murders, and Dylan provided critical information to police. This was made public for the first time in the affidavit released on January 5th, 2023. The affidavit is at least 18 pages, but some information was redacted from the public's viewing. 
Dylan Mortensen, who, as we said, lived on the second floor, told investigators she fell asleep in her room and was awakened at approximately 4 a.m. by what she said sounded like Kaylee playing with her dog in one of the upstairs bedrooms. A short time later, Dylan said she heard what she thought was Kaylee say something to the effect of, there's someone here. Dylan told investigators she looked at her bedroom door after she heard the comment about somebody being in the house, but she didn't see anybody. She then opened her door a second time when she heard what she thought was crying coming from Zana's room. Dylan then said she heard a male voice say something like, it's okay, I'm going to help you. Dylan told investigators that she opened her door a third time after she heard the crying and saw a figure dressed in black clothing and wearing a mask that covered the person's mouth and nose walking towards her. Dylan described the figure as 5 foot 10 or taller, male, not very muscular, but athletically built with bushy eyebrows. The man walked past Dylan as she stood in what she called a frozen shock phase. The man then walked toward the back sliding glass door on the second floor. Now, Kath, because this house is built into the side of a hill, the sliding glass door on the second floor actually exits to the outside. Dylan told investigators that she locked herself in her room after this man walked past her. Based on this timeline, investigators believe the homicides occurred between 4 a.m. and 4.25 a.m. I honestly, I feel so terrible for her. And we have to remember, like you and I talked about this, this is just an affidavit that requires sufficient facts for an arrest warrant. We have no idea all the circumstances and experience of this young woman, but it's heartbreaking, it honestly. Is. And thank God she was not attacked. That's a miracle. It really is. Oh. Moscow has a coroner whose responsibility it is to remove bodies from a crime scene, but it does not have a medical examiner. So the victim's bodies were transported to the Spokane, Washington Medical Examiner's Office to conduct the autopsies. Four days after the murders, on November 17th, the Lataw County Coroner's report confirmed the four students' cause and manner of death was homicide by stabbing. The coroner said the autopsies showed that they were probably asleep when they were killed, but that some of them had defensive wounds, although nobody was mentioned specifically about having defensive wounds. They also believed a fixed blade knife had been used, and the report stated there was no sign of sexual assault on any of the victims. One thing I want to point out, Kath, is that the entire autopsy report was not released, just a very minor version of right. it. And if you notice, and I'm sure you did, in the probable cause affidavit, all the stuff referencing the autopsy was completely redacted. Including the name of the medical examiner. Oh, that's true. You're right. During the processing of the crime scene, investigators found a latent shoe print. The shoe print showed a diamond-shaped pattern similar to the pattern that's on the sole of a van shoe just outside the door of Dylan's bedroom. This was consistent with Dylan's statement regarding the suspect's path of travel. 
As part of the investigation, an extensive search was conducted in the area of the King Road house to obtain any footage, like ring doorbells or security cameras, from the early morning hours of November 13, 2022, in the area of the house and surrounding neighborhoods in an effort to locate the suspect or the suspect's vehicle traveling to or leaving from the King Road house. Police also collected video from the Corner Club bar where Madison and Kaylee were seen hours before the murders, as well as the grub truck where they were seen on the truck's live stream grabbing food before going home. Police also issued a search warrant for cell phone tower data on November 13, 2022 for activity in the area between 3 and 5 a.m. The knife sheath found next to Madison was also processed and found to have K-Bar, USMC, and the United States Marine Corps Eagle Globe and Anchor Insignia stamped on the outside of it. Significantly, the Idaho State Lab later located a single source of male DNA on the metal button snap of the knife sheath. Thank God. I mean, honestly, what a stroke of luck. Absolutely. A review of the camera footage shows multiple videos with numerous sightings of the white sedan as it was traveling through the streets in the King Road neighborhood. Now, the video shows the car between 3.29 a.m. and 4.04 a.m. making multiple passes through the neighborhood, and it was actually seen doing a three-point turn at each side of King Road so it could go past the home again. After 4.04, there's nothing on the cameras. Then at 4.20 a.m., the car is seen leaving the King Road neighborhood at a high rate of speed. So what Corporal Payne thinks is that between 4.04 and 4.20, whoever was driving this car must have parked on some side street or whatever and just hoofed it to the house. Exactly. So when it is seen leaving at a high rate of speed, Corporal Payne believed that the white car exited the neighborhood and proceeded onto State Route 270, which leads to Pullman, Washington, where Washington State University is located. Now, Pullman is roughly 10 miles from Moscow, and it's pretty much straight line west of Moscow. But because both are college towns, you know, there's a lot of young people who commonly travel back and forth between the two towns. Law enforcement officers provided video footage of the white sedan to forensic examiners with the FBI. After reviewing the footage, it was identified as a 2011 to 2016 Hyundai Elantra. Washington State University provided footage to Moscow police of a white sedan leaving campus on November 13, 2022 at 2.44 a.m. on the morning of the murders and traveling on a street that took it to State Route 270. The FBI identified the vehicle in the footage as a 2014 to 2016 Hyundai Elantra. Later that same morning, at approximately 5.25 a.m., a white sedan consistent with the car seen at 2.44 a.m. was seen on five cameras returning to the area. On November 25, 2022, this is now 12 days after the murders, Moscow PD issued a bolo to area law enforcement agencies to be on the lookout for white Hyundai Elantras in the area. Four days after the bolo was issued, at approximately 12.28 a.m., Washington State University police officer Daniel Tiango queried white Elantras registered at the university. As a result of that query, he located a 2015 white Elantra with a Pennsylvania license plate. 
This vehicle was registered to Brian Koberger, and his address was listed as 1630 Northeast Valley Road, which was a university housing apartment complex. The apartment building is located approximately three quarters of a mile away from the last camera location that picked up the white Elantra at 525 a.m. the morning of the murders. About a half an hour after Officer Tiango discovered the Elantra in the database, another Washington State University officer, Curtis Whitman, was driving around the campus looking for white Hyundai Elantras. He located a 2015 Elantra in the parking lot at 1630 Northeast Valley Road, the same apartment complex where Officer Tiango found one registered with the university. This car had a Washington license plate instead of a Pennsylvania plate, and Officer Whitman ran the car. It showed the car was registered to Brian Koberger. This information was then shared with Moscow Police. Moscow Police Corporal Brett Payne reviewed Koberger's Washington State driver's license information and photograph. This license indicated that Koberger is a white male, six feet tall, weighing 185 pounds. The license photo of Koberger showed that he had bushy eyebrows, and his physical description was consistent with the description of the man Dylan Mortensen reported seeing inside the King Road house on the night of the murder. Corporal Payne discovered that Brian Koberger was pulled over for a traffic stop on August 21, 2022, by a Lataw County Sheriff's Deputy, Corporal Duke. Corporal Payne obtained the Sheriff's Department body cam footage from the stop, which showed Brian Koberger in a 2015 white Hyundai Elantra with Pennsylvania plates. Fortuitously, Koberger provided his cell number to the deputy. Now, is that weird? I mean, honestly, if you get pulled over, do they ask for your phone number normally? I don't know. It's been so long since I've been pulled over for real. Yeah. I don't know. But do you see what they're doing here, right? They have a vehicle. They have the name of a man. Now they have to connect that man to that specific car. They have to make sure that specific car was what was coming from the murder scene. And now they have a cell phone number to help connect everything as well. According to the Washington State Licensing Office, on November 18th, 2022, so five days after the murders, Koberger registered the 2015 Elantra with Washington and later received a Washington license plate. What was interesting is, is that it really was just happenstance. His Pennsylvania license plate was set to expire on November 30th of 2022. So he's now at residence in Washington. He has to change it. So, Kath, you know, when this first became public that there was this white car without a front license plate on, a lot of people were assuming that they had removed the front license plate to hinder being identified. Right. It turns out in the state of Pennsylvania, you're not required to have a front license plate. So even though it's required in Idaho and Washington Mm -hmm. and California, just to throw that in there, he probably just didn't know and didn't pay attention to that. So it doesn't appear that he did it for nefarious reasons. Now, Kath, as you could imagine, with a town of only 25,000 residents, the Moscow Police Department is a small agency. Right. At the time of the murders, it had four detectives, although it now registers as having six, 24 patrol officers and five support staff. This is why Chief Fry quickly brought in help. And I got to tell you, kudos to him. Kudos, yeah, for sure. Because a lot of law enforcement gets territorial. At least they do in the movies. Well, in the TV shows. (laughs) Right. That's not real. (laughs) 
but it's why he brought in help. And we now know that law enforcement was successfully investigating a lot of leads behind the scenes. Definitely. You're right, but they weren't sharing them with the public. They were protecting the investigation to ensure critical details weren't leaked. Exactly. While all of this was happening behind the scenes, family members and friends of the victims wanted more answers. And actually to the point where they were calling into question whether or not the Moscow PD was capable of handling such a large murder investigation. Mm -hmm. Internet sleuths, and I'm using those words in quotes, were going crazy. And it led to wild rumors, innuendo, and in some cases, flat out harassment. The police tried to tamp down the rumors by ruling out a handful of people as suspects early on, but it did not stop the false information from being spread. And in fact, Kath, there was even a person on TikTok who is accusing a University of Idaho history professor of orchestrating the killing. Kath, this is despite numerous cease and desist letters from an attorney and a defamation lawsuit being filed. But one of the things I think that really helped the Moscow PD, one of the employees the Idaho State Police loaned to Moscow Police for this was a public information officer, often referred to as the PIO. This person ensures that the dissemination of information is not only timely, but also accurate. It helps stop some of the false rumors when no information is coming out of the police department. So it was actually four days after the murders, Kathy, that the Moscow Police Department issued its first of many press releases and actually had YouTube videos of questions with the chief that they had started adding as well. Now, the other thing that was interesting, Kathy, is that in each press release, in each news conference, Chief Fry pleaded with the public for information and any videos they might have, making sure he always reiterated, it doesn't matter how trivial you think it is, just get it to us. Like, mm -hmm. let us figure that out. Mm -hmm. Kath, why are so many dogs now suffering from health issues? Actress Katherine Heigl, who's helped save over 16,000 dogs through her foundation, said she's seeing more issues with joints, odors, and health than ever before. And after doing a ton of research, she feels there's one place we can look to improve any dog's health, their food. What she discovered is actually the way many dog foods are made can create toxins that could be wrecking our dog's health. And this is true even for many of the premium brands. Fortunately, she found that just by adding a few special superfoods to her dog's food, she saw a huge transformation in their health. She's made a 20-minute video explaining step-by-step -step how anyone can do the same thing to see incredible changes in their dog's health. And Kath, as you know, we have a schnauzer named Ollie, and even though my husband insists he is not, he is overly flatulent. <laughs> <laughs> After I started giving him this food, I swear there was a reduction in his smell. I love that. And I'll come over to your house now. <laughs> exactly. Well, and you know, we have a Vishla we call Orange, and she's a senior dog. And over the last couple of weeks, she has actually had more energy to be running around the backyard with the younger dog, the Doberman we call Brown. Or crazy. A little bit. <laughs> so if you want to keep your dog healthy and happy, go to badlandsfood.com slash killer D and watch Catherine's video right now. Again, that's B-A-D-L-A-N-D-S-F-O-O-D dot com slash killer D. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. 
Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. So now that police had a name connected to the vehicle, they had to figure out who he was. Koberger was from Pennsylvania, and he earned an associate's degree in psychology at a community college in Hazleton in 2018. He graduated from DeSales University with a bachelor's degree in psychology and cloud-based forensics in 2020 and earned a master's degree in criminal justice from the school in 2022. So, Kath, this is not part of the court records, but multiple sources reported that while at DeSales University, he studied in part under a forensic psychologist named Catherine Ramsland, or Ramsland, I'm honestly not sure how to pronounce it, who apparently studied serial killers. She was asked for comment, but declined. And what are the odds she's writing a book? Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Pretty damn high. Exactly. (laughs) Now, before receiving his master's degree in a post on Reddit, a user who identified himself as Brian Koberger and gave a desales.edu email address sought people who had spent time in prison and wanted to interview them. He wanted to take a survey about the crimes they had committed. So the Reddit post reads, Research Participation Needed. Hello, my name is Brian, and I'm inviting you to participate in a research project that seeks to understand how emotions and psychological traits influence decision-making when committing a crime. In particular, this study seeks to understand the story behind your most recent criminal offense with an emphasis on your thoughts and feelings throughout your experience. In the event that your most recent offense was not the one that led you to conviction, you may still participate. Additional surveys are included after the open-ended section as to best understand your unique traits. This writer then goes on to basically say the answers are confidential and I send you to an anonymous link. It must be 18 years of age and you can opt out at any time. Now, shortly after graduating from DeSales, Koberger moved across the country to get his PhD in criminology at Washington State University. As we mentioned, the university is about 15 minutes west of the University of Idaho. You know, Kath, I also read that Koberger was a teaching assistant Mm -hmm. at Washington State University in the Department of Criminal Justice and Criminology, which, as you know, a TA job is hard to get. They're very hard to get. They give them to the best people. Right. And I also remember reading that one of Koberger's professors at DeSales said he was one of the brightest people she'd met and one of only two people she had ever recommended as a PhD candidate. Oh, wow. Yeah. I did not know that. I did read when I was doing some like research on newspaper archives, I did read that he was on the honor roll at DeSales, but I wish I could remember the paper I read that in, but I can't. But yeah, he was no slacker academically. Right. Now, one other thing that was very interesting that was included in the probable cause affidavit for the arrest warrant was that in the fall of 2022, Koberger applied for an internship with the Pullman, Washington Police Department. Koberger wrote in an essay that was included in his application that he had interest in assisting rural law enforcement agencies with how to better collect and analyze technological data in public safety operations. What the affidavit doesn't say, Kath, is whether or not he was hired by the Pullman Police Department. It does not say that. You're right. 
Investigators believe that Koberger was still driving the 2015 Elantra after the murders because his vehicle was captured on December 13, 2022 by a license plate reader in Loma, Colorado. Koberger's Elantra was then queried on December 15, 2022 by law enforcement in Hancock County, Indiana. Okay, and this was when he was pulled over. Twice. Twice. In 10 minutes. Exactly. In Indiana. And I thought this was interesting, Kath, because there was so much speculation that the FBI sent people in to pull him over and just, you know, get eyes on him and make sure it's him, etc. But the FBI recently put out a statement saying, we did not request or direct any law enforcement agency to pull him over. Now, that doesn't mean that the Moscow PD didn't or the Idaho State Police didn't. It just means the FBI didn't. Right. The funny thing, Kathy, is, is that he was pulled over both times for following too closely. Oh, I thought one was speeding. One was speeding and following too closely, but ah, the other was okay. following too closely. Okay. He was following too closely behind semi-trucks. So, Kathy, on December 30th, I was at a birthday party and one of the people there was a police officer. Now, unrelated to all of this, the information about Koberger being pulled over in Indiana had not come out. And we just happened to be talking about drug trafficking, as you would, right? right. <laughs> as one does at a cocktail party or exactly. a birthday. <laughs> well, maybe the cocktails were the reason we were talking about it. <laughs> exactly. But what was interesting, Kath, is I was talking about the fact that I had a friend who was a criminal defense attorney, and we were talking about how drugs are just running rampant, especially along our southern border. And she said, allegedly... If I was running drugs along the southern border, I would have a middle-aged woman in a 10-year-old Toyota or Honda sedan just tooling around and they aren't going to really attract a lot of police attention. So when I said this, the police officer, who's also my friend who I was talking to about this, he said, well, that's why especially highway patrol and troopers are trained to look for other things because so many people do know to do that. And he said one of the things that they look for is somebody tailgating a semi-truck. Oh, seriously? Yes. And so when I read this, it was crazy. But he said they try and kind of hide themselves behind the semi. Which makes sense. It does. And he said the reason that you notice is that, you know, if, if somebody's tailgating another car, it's because clearly they're not going fast enough. But if you're behind a semi, you're in the slow lane usually. And so you just need to right. go around the semi. But they don't. They just sneak up right behind it. I'm not saying that Koberger was running drugs or hiding from the police because innocent until proven guilty. Yep. But it was just interesting that this came on the heels of that conversation. So but when you just... read about him getting pulled over, you were like, what? Exactly. Yeah. So the day after Brian Koberger is pulled over in Indiana. Twice. Twice. Exactly. <laughs> video surveillance shows him at his family's home in Albrightsville, Pennsylvania. Now, this is not in the probable cause declaration or any of the press releases, actually. But we know, based on reporting and actually based on footage of him being pulled over in Indiana, that his father flew to Washington and drove across country with his son, Brian, to get to Pennsylvania for Christmas. Almost a week later, on December 23rd, a search warrant for Koberger's cell phone records from AT&T was issued. The warrant requested phone records between November 12th at 12 a.m. and November 14th at 12 a.m., so approximately 24 hours preceding and following the times of the murders. A warrant also granted investigators from Moscow access to Brian Koberger's historical phone data dating back to June 23rd, 2022, which was the day his phone service started with AT&T in Washington. Corporal Payne received the records from AT&T and consulted with an FBI special agent who was on the Cellular Analysis Survey Team, also called CAST, 
and they were then able to determine estimated locations for Koberger's cell phone around the time of the murders and at other times as well. Records showed that on the morning of the murders, November 13th, at approximately 2.42 a.m., Koberger's phone was utilizing cell towers at the location of his apartment at Washington State University. Five minutes later, the records showed that Koberger's phone traveled through Pullman, which was consistent with video surveillance of the white Elantra before his phone stopped reporting to the network. Koberger's cell phone did not ping to the King Road location at the time of the murders. This was consistent with the phone being on airplane mode or turned off. Koberger's cell phone goes back online at approximately 4.48 a.m., at which time it was picked up by Moscow cell towers. Remember, Kath, we talked about Pullman being due west of Moscow. And Corporal Payne believed that the driver of the Elantra immediately got onto State Route 270 after the murders. However, once the cell records are pulled, they show that this particular cell phone, a number that has been attributed to Brian Koberger, is now pinging south of Moscow. So instead of driving straight west, the person who had the cell phone on them drove south of Moscow, sort of made this U-turn, like a big horseshoe sort of shaped right. movement and headed north up toward Pullman. So kind of like the person took the scenic route as opposed to driving the straight way home. That is exactly right. Which makes sense then because the phone then pinged off towers near Koberger's residence at Washington State at 527 a.m. Now, officers cross-referenced the cell data with video footage of the white Elantra on cameras along this route and determined that the two were consistent with one another. Now, Kathy, here's kind of the scary, creepy thing. The cell phone records also showed that at around 9 a.m., so five hours after the murders on Sunday, November 13th, Towers tracked this same phone to Moscow, Idaho, specifically to Towers near the King Road house. The phone remained in the neighborhood for about 10 minutes and then returned to Pullman at 9.32 a.m. That is incredibly creepy. My first thought, Kathy, is that whoever was in this car with the cell phone, allegedly Brian Koberger, Mm -hmm. was going to check out and see what was going on at the scene. Exactly. Nothing had blown up. No news was out there. Nothing on Twitter, nothing on Insta or anything. And probably wanted to see what was going on, not realizing people were still sleeping. Right. Now, as Kathy mentioned, the affidavit for the search warrant also granted access to Koberger's historical cell phone locations from June 23rd of 2022. Now, Corporal Payne was interested in looking at this to determine if Koberger stalked or contacted any of the victims in this case prior to the murders. The search warrant allowed Moscow PD to capture the numbers of outgoing and incoming calls to his phone. They also wanted to know if he surveilled the King Road house. Kath, the data recovered revealed that the phone was in the area of the King Road house on at least 12 different occasions prior to the day of the murders. You know what is interesting, though, in the affidavit, they say that the Moscow PD is allowed to look at the numbers, you know, incoming and outgoing, like you said. Mm -hmm. But they don't make any conclusions in the affidavit as to whether there was contact or communication between Brian Koberger and any of the victims based on his cell phone data. Right. 
What's interesting about that is that reporters and others may assume to their detriment that everything the police have against Brian Koberger is contained in that affidavit. Right. It's not. This was one affidavit for the arrest warrant. There were other affidavits for search warrants that I am assuming are under seal because they're inaccessible. And on this affidavit, there were clearly redacted pages. Right. Almost all of these 12 occasions where the phone was located near the King Road house Mm -hmm. happened in the late evening or early morning hours. On one of these occasions, and this is on August 21st of 2022, the phone was located at or near the King Road house from approximately 10.34 p.m. to 11.35 p.m. This is the day Koberger was pulled over for a seatbelt violation. We referenced it earlier. We called it a traffic violation. <laughs> but yeah, you're right. Technically, May as well know what he did. Exactly. And was stopped by the Latok County Sheriff's Department. He was pulled over at 11.37 p.m., two minutes after his phone left the King Road neighborhood. That's incredible. Exactly. So now they have linked the person to the car, to the phone, to the neighborhood. Mm -hmm. Thank God for seatbelt violations. (laughs) Exactly. According to the probable cause affidavit on December 27th, investigators recovered trash from the Koberger family residence that contained DNA. The next day, the Idaho State Lab reported that the DNA recovered from the trash was like it was like 99.998% probability as belonging to the biological father of the individual who left DNA on the knife sheath found in Madison Mogan's bed at the crime scene. Boom. This is huge information. And not only that, and this was not in the affidavit, so I'm reporting things that I heard, assuming there's a leak of some sort. Right. But it was reported from multiple sources that agents who were watching the house saw Brian Koberger come out of the house at two o'clock in the morning wearing surgical gloves and putting trash that he had brought with him into the neighbor's trash cans. That's incredible. But we have to emphasize not from the police documents, not from the court records either. So as we said in the beginning, in the early morning hours of Friday, December 30th, 2022, a special emergency response team from the Pennsylvania State Police did a dynamic entry into the Coburger residence in Monroe County. Now, Brian Koberger's parents were home when all of this went down, but nobody was harmed in the process. At a press conference last Tuesday, January 3rd, Major Christopher Paris of the Pennsylvania State Police revealed that their assignment was to serve Brian Koberger with a fugitive from justice warrant, essentially based on the arrest warrant issued in Idaho, as well as three search warrants. One was for Koberger himself to get DNA and photographs. One was for the white Elantra, and one was for his apartment at Washington State University. Now, Brian Koberger was taken into custody without incident, and the scene was immediately turned over to the FBI's evidence response team for processing. Koberger was taken to the Monroe County Prison, held without bail, pending the extradition process. Kath, one of the things that I thought was very interesting was that Major Paris was asked how many Pennsylvania State troopers or, you know, how many of the Pennsylvania State Police were aware that this warrant was going to be served. And he said seven to eight. No more than crazy. No more than 10. This thing was kept so tightly under wraps. Although when they actually did the service of the arrest warrant, I want to say there were like 50 tactical guys from the troopers 
but there were also FBI agents, Idaho police. A lot of people were actually at the scene of the arrest. It was incredible that they were able to keep it under wraps for as long as they did. Moscow Police Chief James Fry looked exhausted and almost tearful as he announced the arrest of Brian Koberger at a news conference, making it clear that investigators were still looking for tips to help solve the questions they could not answer. Did the suspect act alone? What was the motive? And where was the murder weapon? Koberger waived extradition and was flown from Pennsylvania to Idaho on January 4th, and made his initial court appearance in Idaho the following morning. Although the court is in Lataw County, the Kootenai County, Idaho Chief Public Defender Ann Taylor was assigned to represent Koberger. Lataw County Prosecutor Bill Thompson will represent the state. I have to bust in here. (laughs) (laughs) When Chief Fry gave the press conference announcing that Brian Koberger was arrested as a suspect in the murders, the prosecutor was there. So Bill Thompson was there and he's kind of standing in the background. And you see this guy and I was like, oh, my God, did he drive a car to this press conference or did he ride a horse? (laughs) Like he looks like a character out of Yellowstone. He was at this press conference with like a light blue Oxford shirt, sleeves rolled up to the elbows and a vest. Um, what, what, it was like, fleece. Fleece. Exactly. He had a fleece vest with like a county logo or something. Exactly. On it. Which means it's like official office wear. Yeah. And so and then he has this like grizzly beard. Like he literally looked like a character out of Yellowstone or he looked like a Santa Claus that wasn't fat enough. Yeah. <laughs> But when I saw him, I was like, damn, he's just straight out of central casting. (laughs) He absolutely was. Yeah, for sure. You kind of expected to hear like his spurs clanking as he walked into the building. Totally. At this initial January 5th court appearance, Lataw County Magistrate Judge Megan Marshall explained the charges against Koberger as well as his constitutional rights. She denied a request for bail and set a status hearing for January 12th at 10 a.m. Sometime thereafter, Kathy and I expect there to be a preliminary hearing to determine if there is sufficient evidence to hold Koberger over for the crimes of murder and burglary. Judge Marshall reminded us that Brian Koberger is innocent unless proven guilty by the prosecution. The world was able to see what this probable cause affidavit said. We know that there's a lot more that is under seal. And there is currently a non-dissemination order in place because the judges in Idaho want to protect the integrity of the process as much as possible. They do not want there to be an accusation that Brian Koberger's due process rights were violated and that the jury pool was tainted. So as things become available, if more search warrant affidavits become available, we will let you know. But to end this episode, we're going to talk a little bit about the victims. Zana Kernodal grew up in Post Falls, Idaho, and was a talented athlete, having competed in soccer, volleyball, track, and gymnastics. She was majoring in marketing and was an active member of Pi Beta Phi sorority. Zana loved her dog, Shoeshine, enjoyed EDM music, going to concerts, spending time with her friends, and going on family trips with her sister and father. When she was little, she loved spending time on her grandma and grandpa's farm and summers at the river. Zana was loved dearly by her family, friends, and classmates, and had an infectious sense of humor. She is survived by her father, mother, sister, brother, and her extended family. 
Ethan Chapin, who grew up in Mount Vernon, Washington, was a triplet. He was the firstborn before his sister Maisie and his brother Hunter. He was a strong athlete competing in soccer, basketball, and he also ran cross country and happened to love golf. He was in the first semester of his freshman year at the University of Idaho and had joined the Sigma Chi fraternity. If he wasn't on the golf course or working, you could usually find him surfing. And yes, you could surf in Idaho. Yes, you could. So I don't know about Moscow, but I know in Boise, the Boise River runs along their green belt and they actually have it set up so you can surf on the river. Yeah, exactly. Ethan is survived by his dad, his mom, and his surviving triplets, Maisie and Hunter, as well as half-siblings, Eric, David, and Nicole, and his extended family. Madison May Mogan, who went by Maddie, grew up in North Idaho. She met Kaylee Gonzalez in elementary school, and they became best friends. Maddie was known for her ability to make others smile and laugh with her offbeat and hilarious sense of humor. Maddie was excited to attend the University of Idaho and made the dean's list every semester. She joined Pi Beta Phi sorority, where she met some of her closest friends. She was admired for her focus and dedication to her future, and she excelled in school and all of her jobs. Maddie is survived by her dad, her mom, and her extended family. Kaylee Jade Gonzalez grew up in North Idaho, along with her best friend Maddie. She was the third of five children and one of four girls. She loved Claire's accessories and fashion and doing whatever she could to get a laugh out of those around her. All throughout her school years, Kaylee maintained incredible grades and made friends wherever she went. She was social, quirky, and loved to play pranks on her family and friends. She also loved adventure. She was a hard worker, always having a full-time job on top of her studies. And at the University of Idaho, she was a member of the Alpha Phi sorority. In her obituary, it said, She was strong. She was fair. She was tough. She was dedicated. She was beautiful. She was and she is love. Kaylee is survived by her dad, her mom, her siblings, and extended family. Thank you for listening. Hope you enjoyed it. And thank you for sharing with your friends and family co-workers, colleagues, strangers you meet on the street. Anyone who's willing to listen to you. <laughs> exactly, because that's what we do. If you aren't following us on social media, please do so. We are at Killer Destinations Podcast on Facebook and Instagram. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.